and welcome to Dream It, Dare It, Do It, Live the Life You Want. I am Jasmine, your host. You guys missed last week's episode because there was none. I apologize. I've been a busy girl. Uh, but this week, I'm so happy because I have Robin Charbett with me. Hi, Robin. Lovely to be here. Thank you so much for accepting the invitation. Guys, we met, I met actually... I work with Anna Scott. Anna Scott is one of my clients. And I heard of you because you went on Anna Scott's podcast. So, guys, I'm going to put the link so that you could go listen to the conversation he had with Anna. And then we discovered that Robin speaks French. And as you all know, I'm part of the 3P French community. And so we invited him on. And then I was like, okay, I want him on my podcast. <laughs> so here he is. Um, I... Robin just asked me off camera, what was the name of my podcast? And I said, it's Dream It, Dare It, Do It, Live the Life You Want. And he says, why, why did you do that? <laughs> and I said, okay, let's pause and you tell me. So Robin, let's continue this conversation. Yeah. So, so what, I, what I was starting to share, um, well, first of all, like, the reason I asked you is I'm always curious because, yeah. you know, I can make up what something means to me, but who knows whether that's what you meant. Yeah. And so where, where my thought went was that um, the more I've seen about how the mind works and how life gets created moment to moment, my preferences and what I want are, are like noise. You know, I think there's a few, uh, you know, Coldplay, Rolling Stones, they've got a few songs about getting what you want, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... I, I've given up creating a life that I want. And I gave that up quite a while ago. And what I do is I, I now live in the life I have. And what I've seen is that um, it's beautifully designed. You know, there is deep intelligence running life. And I can, you know, flex my willpower, want things. But so what? I think there's an expression, I don't know where the, I think it was, I thought it was Italian, but apparently it's not Italian. And, and the expression is, man prays, God laughs. Mm. And if you look at all the people who, who go for things that they want, when they get what they want, usually it's not enough. They or want, they want more. more. Yeah. Or they have a momentary, you know, uh, a momentary satisfaction. You know, I remember when I graduated university and, you know, it was a brutal three years with a very intense program, and I graduated. And about a month later, it was like, okay, now what, what now? Yeah. So we can live a life in pursuit of something. We can live a life to construct something, or we can just live, the, live a life. And if I look at all the things that have happened in my life that have, that have been significant, I did not plan or intend any of them. What I did do, because I've looked and reflected, is... As the universe drifted an opportunity or some idea in front of me, something in me resonated with that idea and I jumped on it. But, I mean, I'll give you a very simple example. I was walking with my, my wife probably a couple of months ago, uh, just in our neighborhood. You often take walks. And I just got off a, a, the, the phone with a friend who plans everything like five years out you know, what they're going to eat, where they're going to go. And when they were younger, because they're our age, when they were younger, they did the same thing with everything. Well, okay, you'll get the job at the bank so we can get the low-cost mortgage, and then we'll get the bigger house, 
And then once we've got the bigger house, then we'll get another kid because then you can stop work, but we'll have the mortgage. I mean, it was all like planned yeah. out. And they're very happy people. So I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do. But I, I reflected how I've not done that. And so I said to my wife, did you ever imagine we'd be living in the US? We'd have three kids. You know, I'd be running my own business, you know, et cetera. And she said, no, never thought about any of it. So I've come to, to see that there is deep wisdom behind life running life. And my job is to be present and connected to that wisdom. And then things will unfold the way they're going to unfold. So I don't spend much time planning, I mean, in, in detail, what my life is going to be like. I don't spend much time wanting things. I just spend time enjoying whatever's happening. Yeah. And it doesn't mean I, I, I don't go shopping to get milk in the fridge so I have milk for my coffee tomorrow. You know, I'm, I'm being a bit black and white with my... But for example, um, you know, my kids... So funny, my kids are always plan long-term. One of them's just had a baby, and they're now having an argument between her and her husband because she doesn't want to do the planning thing anymore. <laughs> and he's still on the, but what happened to my planning buddy who would plan holidays a year out? And she's sort of doing more like we do, which is, okay, I've got a, a gig there. I could go there. Oh, maybe I could add a weekend. Oh, maybe I could do this. And all of a sudden, I've got a three-week trip that came out of nowhere. So it's not that I, I don't have things I'm interested in. It's not like I don't have preferences. But what I've come to see is my preferences are just a manifestation of my ego. And it's all made up. Yeah. I say that a lot. It's all made up. It's just all made up. But <clears throat> I think that it has transformed for me. Like I can, I'm, you know, I remember times where I would do, you know, there was a time where it was super popular that you would do the vision boards you know, like I'd have vision board parties, people coming over and we'd all sit there. And it, I, I never really would look at it ever again. It just, I was like, okay, this, this, this. And I would never look at it again. I think that that's, that was very indicative of how it's, it's really just, it was just for fun. There was no substance to it and in my world anyways. Um, but it, it has changed where when I say do what you want, I think that, yeah, we, we can go intellectually and say, well, look at your preferences. But I, I feel that my, the, the one that I'm pointing to that, like I told you, I'm using the words because I have to wor use words. Right. But it's kind of like, what is, what do you, what is it? feel what's calling to you that's what you said you said something is calling go for it like that's why the dare too, the dream the dare the do it's kind of like it's calling to you go for it well um you know, j just to be clear with with your audience i sometimes vision i sometimes like like for example i'm working with a team and uh they need something they need to figure out where you know where they can get to well let's vision so there's nothing wrong with vision. There's nothing wrong with planning. You know, if you want to have milk in the fridge for coffee, you need to, you need to plan, but it's not the be all and end all. And then the other thing, just to, to connect to what you just said about daring, when something emerges through you as an insight or realization, there's no dare required. Yeah. So when I, when I 
I used to be a chemical engineer and then I ran businesses. And then when I quit that and went into the management consulting world, it just looked like it was the thing to do. It didn't look like a dare. Dare requires willpower. I, I, haven't, I don't use willpower much. What I do is I, an idea touches me. I get curious about it. And then if it makes sense, I follow the idea. And if it doesn't make sense, I don't. And then since we're deeply connected to this intelligence, we can orient ourselves towards things we'd like to think about more. And so, you know, if a, a choice or a situation comes up, I can reflect and see what wisdom there is around it. So you could say that, you could call that planning or visioning or figuring it out, but it's, it, it's an emergent process, mm. not a driven process, and it's not a fixed process. It's, it's, I'll give you an analogy or a metaphor. There are two different types of people who play sport. There are those, and let's assume they're playing sport really well at a high level. There are those who play sport, and if they win, they're elated, and if they lose, they're depressed for three days. And then there's some people who play sport, and if they win or they lose, they're elated for three days. Now, during the game, they played hard, but once it was done, it was just a game. Even though it's a championship level, even though they're very, I mean, they play like they've got nothing on it. So that's what life looks like. So you can, pl you can play life like you have everything on it. And if it doesn't work out, you know, you're in jeopardy. Your well-being is in jeopardy. Or you could play life like it's a game and it's unfolding and who knows what will unfold. And sometimes it grabs you and drags you somewhere and you don't get a choice. And other times, like a river, it gets calm and it's quiet and you can swim to the bank and have a picnic and then get back in the river. I mean, but it's an emergent process or it's an emergent phenomenon, not a driven phenomenon. So this reminds me, and then you can maybe, you know, correct me on that. This reminds me of, you know, what they, what they say, <laughs> do what you love and then you'll never work a day in your life yeah. kind of thing. It, it kind of feels a little like that, what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. I, I had a, a lovely client, um, worked with him for many years. He got to a number of points he could retire and he couldn't wait to retire. He was fed, of, fed up with the corporate bullshit and he retired and he couldn't wait to retire because he had all these things he wanted to do. And he, one of the things was he loved to hunt. Well, the minute he retired, he hunted for two, for two months nonstop. And after two months, guess what? He got a bit bored with hunting. <laughs> yeah, I bet he did. And then, you know, what do I do? What do I do? And his wife said, look, I don't want you hanging around the house being miserable. So he decided to become a pilot. And he didn't just choose single, he chose twin engine, which is much harder to learn. And he got a night certification. So he got an instrument certification so he could fly at night. So, you know, he really took, he didn't just do a bit of flying. He did flying flies across the country, does all this stuff for six months, and then guess what? Gets a bit bored. <laughs> yeah. And so he comes back, and he doesn't know what to do, and he's sitting around the house, and, and then someone calls him up and says, look, we, we lost our organizational development guy in our organization. We've heard you're, you're good. Would you mind coming out of retirement to help us out? And he was like, I've got nothing else going on. <laughs> so he joins this big organization in OD, and because he, he doesn't need to make a career, because he doesn't really need the money. Excuse my French, he doesn't give a shit too much. So he's in a meeting, he points to the, to the turd in the punch bowl, he says the truth, he says it where it is nicely. I mean, he's not aggressive, yeah, yeah. but he's, he's just saying the truth. They love him. They love him because he's pointing out things gently, sweetly that's going on that people don't want to talk about. So he's massively effective. 
And I'm talking to him six months in. He said, you know, I wish I'd known this 30 years ago. I started my career. <laughs> he, said, he said, what's the... And the, I said, but why are you doing it now? He said, well, mentally, what can they do to me? They could fire me. Big whoop. I go back to retirement. Been there, done that. So he said, I don't care if they fire me. So he said, what's interesting, I'm not caught up in my ego worrying about what people think of me. What's required? What's true? What should I say? How do I say it nicely? But whether they like it or not, that's not my job. They didn't hire me to only say nice things. They hired me to tell them the truth. And I'm doing that, and they love me. So it's a metaphor. You can go through life, you know, um, not enjoying what you're doing and thinking it's the thing that you're doing that you're not enjoying, and then you aim for something else. Or you can realize that it doesn't matter what you're doing. And it doesn't mean you stick to the same job, but if you see where the, where the enjoyment factor is coming from, it's an insight phenomenon, not an exit. The circumstances become less important. Yeah. You know, we see this in organizations where we share this understanding. You know, they go through restructuring, and the people who've been through our program go, Oh, well, who knows what will happen? You know, maybe I'll get a new job in the restructuring. Maybe I won't. And if I leave, I've had a great run, and who knows? Maybe the next job will be better. I could worry about it, but why? And then they just very chill, go through the restructuring. And then I've, I've met people who, who got laid off during restructurings, and they're grateful with how they were laid off and how the company gave them a new opportunity. Now, we're not talking about putting, you know, um, lipstick on a bad situation, trying to make it look good and trying to be positive. It's just genuinely that's what they felt. They felt it was great while I worked here. Who knows what else is coming, you know, and uh, I, I'll, I'll be fine and let's see what happens. It's, it's, a, it's a relaxed, um, it's a relaxed sort of trusting, intuitive way to live life rather than a driven you know, constructing life. Yeah. Yeah. It, it reminds me of the, the pandemic, you know, like for, for, I mean, the pandemic, I mean, everybody was like, it was like, oh my God, you had all these peoples on one side, you had these people that was like, oh, it's hell. Oh my God, this is so bad. It's the end of the world. And then you talk on the other guy and they're like, oh man, I feel so great. You know, it was just like, it was, and I was like, I was like, this was the pandemic was my, like a tipping point for me. I mean, I was stuck in my head about how things should have been. And, you know, it reminded me when you were saying, you know, it was kind of like, at, at one point, I was like, okay, I don't want to work too much. This is, was the thing. I don't want to do too many hours. I just, I don't want to do too many hours. And anything that I would look at, I would make up so many hours, <laughs> right? I was like, would you like to come and work here? And I'd be like, Mm, I'm gonna make so many hours there. Oh no, no, I'm not gonna do that. And oh no, I'm not gonna. Well, in the pandemic, I had all the time I had, and I'm like spending so many hours on my business, and I really don't care. Like it, it doesn't matter. I don't even count them before I sit there and count how many hours did you do on Monday? How many did? Who cares, Jasmine? Really, if you love. If you love it, if you're having fun, if you're like, if it's making you vibrate, you know, it's kind of like, just do it. Yeah. yeah. It, well, and my point is, if you see, see deeply about how the mind works, well, then what happens on the outside actually becomes less critical. 
I mean, the other day I had to take my mother to a doctor's appointment and the place was, waiting room was mobbed. And so we were waiting there. And in the end, we hung around for half an hour. We got there 10 minutes early and then we had to spend another half an hour past our appointment time waiting to be seen. And we're sitting there and my mother's, you know, agitated because you know, we're late and then she's looking at people and, and she leans over and she says, what are, you, what are you thinking about? And I said, nothing really. I said, why? What do you think about? Well, yeah, a doctor, look at him. I don't think, why is she here? And, you know, they came in before us. So she's having like a zoo in her head and not enjoying it. Yeah. And I'm having a, a lovely experience. And I'm not doing having a lovely experience. It's just happening. Because I've, I've come to see that I can live in my mind more gracefully. And the more gracefully I live in my mind, the more gracefully I live in life. And the more gracefully I live in life, uh, does mean the less it matters what actually happens out there. Now, it doesn't mean I don't have objectives. I don't aim for things. I've got a ton of projects going on. You know, I'm, I'm working full-time with my clients. I'm having a blast. But I, I, I'm like the guy playing the game, and however it goes, I don't mind. It's the playing the game which, makes, which is the fun part. Yeah. And I, if you see how the mind works, you can live that way. Yeah. And it doesn't mean difficult things don't happen. But again, if you're living, if you're seeing that it's an inside-out game, when difficult things happen, they're not as difficult. And then you wonder, what, is, what, what, I, what, I, what do I have to learn here? What was, what's the intelligence behind that? And if you look enough, you find the intelligence. And things that look terrible, horrible, actually have intelligence behind them. And you see, oh, that's, that's the way life is supposed to work. And I, me, the ego, the identity could have an opinion about it, but who gives a whoop? Yeah. So I don't have too many opinions about it anymore. And so life is graceful. And full and rich. and Because that's the other thing. When you live a more graceful life, all of these great capacities come online. They're innate capacities. They're not capacities you have to manufacture. You have clarity. It's easy to think for yourself. You have perspective. You know, did anybody die? Is it just a piece of, uh, you know, coffee stain on a rug? You know, what's going on here? You get a good perspective. Yeah. A lot of people you notice in life don't have perspective. The, second, the third thing that happens is you, you feel deeply connected to your humanity. So empathy is a natural consequence of the mind being grounded. And if you notice, when people get all wrapped around the axle and get all caught up, empathy leaves, their humanity leaves. That's why so many terrible things ha happen around the world, because people have just lost connection with their humanity. And they can't all be so sociopaths. And then the last thing is I have this... We all have this birthright capacity to have insight. And what this capacity is, it's not something you get when you walk your dog or you're in the shower or you happen to be falling asleep and in those few moments you're lucky to get insight. You can have an insight anytime you want if you know where to look. And there's nothing in life that can resist the power of an insight to either reshape it or make it okay. So... The more you see the benefits of living in a graceful mind, you know, a peaceful mind, a present mind, call it whatever you want. I mean, as you said, words are not adequate. Yeah. 
the more the less and less this this stuff that bothers you and the less and less this stuff to work on hard and the, and the more you see these innate capacities like confidence people don't make themselves confident it's a natural capacity that emerges from a quiet mind mm. so for me you know this is the best thing i've ever learned in my life i just wish i'd learned it you know when i was a teenager <laughs> But I've yet to meet anybody, and we work in the corporate worlds where people are not interested in this understanding primarily. I've yet to meet someone who, ha who hasn't become interested. And when they become interested, it gives them relief and joy and um, satisfaction. What do you do with the people that, uh, it, it reminds me, like, there are some people that kind of like, you, you explain or you, you try to teach or whatever the words we want to use, but they kind of like take it and bring it back to, oh, yeah, I, I, this, these people say that too. These people say that too. These people say that too. Like they kind of like, it feels a little bit like when I hear it, it feels a little bit like dismissive. Oh, yeah, I've heard it before. I've heard it before. I was, I was studying these guys and that's what they said. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, you know, well, then you're still intellectually just dealing with it because once you get it, you just, you get it. And you can't unsee it once you've seen the inside, the, oh, wait, what, what, <sighs> you know, there's this thing that shows up. It's almost like a light bulb. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, I find there's two categories of people. Those who have made a connection to something else in their life and there's a resonance. So they're not, and the other one are the, oh, yeah, I know this. I really learned this. You know, my preacher. So, you know, a lot of people said, oh, my preacher says this or, you know. Yeah. Well, I asked them what they mean by that. And I get to see, is the person not really listening and they've made an association, they've assumed they know it all and so they've stopped paying attention? Or is there some resonance where what I'm talking about, they can look at through a lens they already have? Because the truth is, what, what we all share is nothing new. I mean, this has been around for millennia. It's just all in many different forms. I mean, if you've ever done Qigong, Qigong is a, a kinesthetic version of the principles. Hmm. No, I've never done Qigong. Yeah, so, you know, there's a, there's, there's a lot. Of, this is not what Sid, Sid Banks, who we learned this from, his gift was to explain it in a simple way. Because most of the other approaches are very complicated. Yeah. But there's, everybody really knows this. Yeah. So when someone says they know it, I first check what do they mean they know it. Is it, oh, wow, this is illuminated and connected with something I've seen, and you put language around something I've seen, and this makes it richer? Or is it, oh, yeah, I saw that movie, you don't have to tell me. Now, if it's the second category, which I think was mainly your question, you know, uh, I, I do two things. I am, um, or two or three things. I am... Um, Ask them what they know. So if they know that they know, and they, oh, yeah, I know this. Well, what do they know? And I listen to what it is that they think they know. And as they tell me, I see how much they know. And I see also how they're looking at it, so I can, it helps me build a bridge if I want to explain to them. The second thing I look at is what's their interest? Because some people are, dismissive in their mind you know two three sound bites oh, i got okay i don't have to pay attention 
So with those people, I would, if that's what's going on with them, I might have a private or offline conversation with them. Well, what are you here to learn? Because it's not my job to drag anybody somewhere that they don't want. I don't want to make someone watch a movie they think they've seen. And so if they're really not interested in learning something, well, it's really good that they say that. And, and I say, well, maybe you shouldn't, don't bother to, if you know it all, don't stay. Yeah. The third thing I do, um, and again, it depends on who's in front of me and what, what occurs to me in the moment, is I explain to people something that you would call in, in the world of martial arts, beginner's mind. And beginner's mind is how you approach something you know a lot about as if you knew nothing. Because if you approach something you know a lot about, with all of your knowledge in the forefront, you will not learn anything new. But if you look at anything in life, I mean, what, what's, the, what's the city that you've visited the most, other than Quebec City, what's, this, what's the other city that you've visited the most in your life that you really loved? Arizona. Phoenix. So, Phoenix, right. So you've been there more than once to, to Phoenix. Yeah. Every time you go, do you learn something more about Phoenix? Oh, yeah, there's still plenty to learn about Phoenix. So with cities, we don't go, oh, I've been to Paris. I, know, I don't need to go there again. I got Paris. No, you didn't get Paris. You could go to Paris or Phoenix for the rest of your life, and it would still continue to emerge. So I explain that to people. Now, if you go to Paris going, oh, I've seen Paris, and you sit there on the bus, on your, on your cell phone doing Facebook, yeah, you won't. You won't learn anything about Paris. But if you just go back into Paris, you'll learn more. So I explain to people the nature of deep learning is to keep looking and seeing what else you don't know. Because sometimes they just innocently don't know that. They think learning is a tick, tick the box, tick the box, move on, as yeah. opposed to depth. And what we're pointing people to is depth, because as you say, you want them to realize it, not get it as an intellectual idea. Intellectual ideas do nothing for people other than momentary entertainment. You want people to get beyond an insight, what I would call a realization. And for anybody who's French listening to this, we don't mean realization in the way the French realization is to build. I mean it in the English sense, which is to make real. Now, if you look, when, when you have a deep realization, no willpower is required from that point onwards. Like, for example, anybody who's driven a car with a manual transmission, when they learned to drive the car, the clutch was a nightmare. Yes, it was. You know, the right position, you stalled the car, you overread the car, you know. <laughs> da, 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 you know. <laughs> you, you, and then at some point, you get it. Yep. From that point onwards, how much more do you have to think about the clutch? Done. <laughs> We want people to see how their mind works at that level. Because yeah. once you see it, done. So we tell people by ticking off a box, assuming you know, you're not going to see that level of depth. And then if the, all of that fails, the last thing I have, which I don't use with everybody, but there's a joke you can tell people. So there's a guy who wants to become a sensei. So he hears that the grand grandmaster lives up in a little, you know, cave in the Himalayas. And so it takes 30 days to trek up there. And he finally gets there and, oh, great one, I want to become a sensei. What is the path to becoming a master? Um, and he said, oh, you, you have to travel the, the world for 10 years. 
and look at all these things. And if you learn them, come back in 10 years and you will be a sensei. So the guy bows, thanks him and leaves and spends 10 years traveling the world, having all sorts of experiences. And then finally, you know, he's like, I got this. And he goes back, again, a 30-day trek to this little, and there's the master or the, the, the grand um, master sitting in his uh, little cave. And he says, uh, well, student, did you, did you do what I asked? Yes, master, I, went, I did all the things you asked. I, I spent 10 years and I've come back and I'm ready to be made a, a master, a sensei. And the, uh, the, uh, the old, the grandmaster looks at him and says, well, you know, a lot has changed in 10 years. And I don't think you saw everything. So if you really, really want to be a master, you need to go away and spend another 10 years going around seeing all the things you hadn't seen yet. And then once you've done that, come back and you'll be, a, I'll be ready to make you a master. So he says, oh, okay, I thought I was done, but okay. So he goes off another 10 years, traveling the planet, doing all these things. And then finally, after 20 years, he does the 30-day trek up the mountains. And he's finally at the cave with the, the grandmaster. And he says, grandmaster, you were right. In these 10 years, I learned so many more things that I did not know that I did not know. And, but now I've learned them all. I am ready to be made a master. And uh, the grandmaster looks at him and goes, well, I don't know how to tell you this, but, you know, in the 10 years you were gone, I've seen a lot of, there's a lot more out there. And if you really, really want to be a master, you have to do this one final task. And, and he says, well, what is it? Well, you have to go for another 10 years. And he goes, another 10 years? I've already done 20 years. It was going to be 10. It's 20, now it's 30. He says, yeah, another 10 years. And go around and see all the things you have not yet learned. And once you've done that last 10 years, if you come back, you'll be ready to be a, a master. So this is a bit of a shock. You know, this 10-year adventure is now turning into a 30-year adventure. Anyway, he really wants to be a master, so he leaves. He spent 10 years going around the world. And when he finally does his, his last 10 years, he comes back, and he's sitting you know, at the end in the cave of the grandmaster, and he says, you know, grandmaster, the last 10 years were very useful. As I went around the world for these last 10 years, what I realized is there's so much I don't know. And I don't actually think I'm ready to be a master. And the grandmaster looks at him and says, I think you are. So, our ego and our arrogance and our whatever you want, label you want to put in it, can run our learning. And I don't think that's a very effective way to learn. Or you can sit back relax and let the innate intelligence in the system do that. And don't run too many things in your head like I know this, I don't know this, or this is like that, or this is like this. So those are the different things I have told people on occasions about when they say, oh, I got this. Mm. Was, that, was that helpful? Yes, definitely. Definitely. Listen, have- we're, all, we're all on our own journey, Jasmine, and yeah. who knows when it's someone's turn to learn and who knows how someone should learn. So... I just well, give them that's, options. That's what that's what's actually my next question to you. So, so you've been, you know, you met Sid, right? You you yeah. learned from him, right? Yeah. So, like, it feels like this is a never-ending story. Like it's it like it feels yeah. like I I still say, ah, oh, thought. You know, I, I've been I've been studying since twenty thirteen. 
you know? So, but what is the thing that you still, you still see, like, that you go, oh, man, and, and you still get surprised that you see it? Or is there anything? Everything. Everything. The, the other day, you know, we, 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 when we work with people and we've ha- had them see where, you know, that life is inside out, we then start to show them some of the implications of how the mind works. And one of them is ego which in, in the English language is a technical thing. In the French language, it's more a pejorative thing. But I've had hundreds of conversations with people about ego explaining what it is. Well, two weeks ago, we ran a public program online. I had a deep insight about what ego is. So, you know, I've been knocking around this understanding for over 20 years. And last week, I saw ego more deeply. Or two weeks ago, I saw ego. So I'm convinced that I'm going to continue seeing new stuff. And I don't care the rate at which I see it. I don't care how big or how small it is. I've just become habituated, or you could almost say devoted, to looking in a particular direction. And I use the word devotion because what devotion is, is is an effortless desire to do something. So I'm guessing you're devoted to your sweet little doggy, right? Yeah. Is there anything you would not do for that dog? No. Did you have to go on a training course to to reach that level? No. The second I saw her, it was there. Right. You're devoted. It doesn't take effort. It's or it doesn't take con- mental effort. It takes effort. You have to take her to the vet, and I'm sure do yeah. things for her. But your love and desire to 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 look after her—that's done. Mm. That's what devotion is. Now, what's, what's happened for me is over the years, I've got more and more devoted to looking at this understanding and seeing what else I can see. And I keep learning. I learn from my colleagues. I learn from my clients. I learn just from being in life because I know where to look. The more you look at Paris, the more you'll learn about Paris. That's, that's very helpful because in the past couple of weeks, I've been very stressed. I've been... I've been, I've had this, I get my, my solar plexus get, gets yeah, really yeah. freaky and I've, I've been like, okay, it's thought I was <laughs> just like, it's thought, but I do admit that I get into anger. I go into man. Okay. But stop, geez, stop thinking Jasmine, would you stop doing that? You know, which is basically just perpetuating it more than yeah. I do it. You know, it's kind of like, okay, but I guess I haven't seen it deep enough yet or so what so what yeah exactly so listen listen, people misunderstand um what it is to help other people learn this first of all you don't have to be an expert you just need to know where to look and you need to encourage them where to look but if you go to the world of sport some of the best coaches were not very good players But they understood the game. They knew what was going on and they could describe it to other people. Even though they weren't good at taking penalties or whatever, they knew what the the, might work. Conversely, many great, great players were were crap coaches because what they did was intuitive and they couldn't explain it to anybody. Therefore, no one could benefit from what they did so well. So to help someone learn this understanding, you don't need to be an expert. You need to know where to look. 
And the humility you have with your journey of flapping around and getting caught up is actually fuel for your ability to teach. If you hadn't been ever stressed in your life and you have a client who's stressed, can you relate to them? Yeah, definitely. Right. So anything you go through is an opportunity to learn, which at some level will help you out in life. So your job is to, is to go through life and see what it has on offer, not think it has to go a particular way. We, we had a lovely, um, a lovely guy in a, in a program of ours, very, very strong individual, and he loved to, to use his intellect to figure things out. And we told everybody at the beginning of the program, you know, don't, don't use your intellect, it's not going to help you out. End of the first day, people are settling in, getting good insights. And he stood up and says, I'm very frustrated. All these people are seeing stuff and I'm seeing nothing. And I said, well, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm trying to figure it out. I can't figure it out. And I said, well, do you remember us saying figuring out was the wrong approach? He said, I heard that, but that's not how I do things. <laughs> we went, okay, look, you can keep doing it the way you want or you can follow the advice. And he was like, Okay, you know, like almost like a, and the guy was in his 50s. He was like a petulant teenager. The next go, he, he next day, he lets go of all of the analysis and figuring it out. And by lunchtime, he'd had a deep insight and he was fine. Well, that's the journey he had to go on. He had to spend a whole day banging his head against the wall before he figured out where the door was, yeah. even though we told him where the door was. And it, but it's not our job to make him go through the door. And some people, do not want to learn or are going to learn in their own way or the universe has their plan, its plan for them. Our job is to be as helpful as you can. We're tour guides, Jasmine. Yeah. If you're taking someone around the Louvre and they're bored in paintings, well, you're not going to teach them anything. And at some point you'd say, look, you're bored. Is it worth doing? What about the gift shop? No, I always go to the gift shop. So you take them to the gift shop and they have a lovely time in the gift shop and they buy all the souvenirs. And I said, I went to the Louvre. They didn't like the Louvre, but they got all the souvenirs, and they had a good time. Your job is not to drag anybody to, the, to see the Mona Lisa. And here's, here's the reason I say this is that one of the liabilities of a lot of people who've had been touched by this understanding is that it's so good, they can't believe everybody else doesn't want to learn it. Mm. It's like this um, Mexican restaurant you go to on holiday that has this fabulous hot sauce, and it's so good you buy a few bottles. Because it's unbelievable. It's the best hot sauce you've had in your life. And when you get home, you're talking to everybody about hot sauce and trying to put it on everything. And everybody's going, hey, Jasmine, back off. You know, you're a bit boring. You keep going on and on about the hot sauce. Enough with the hot sauce. Well, every now and then you meet someone who likes hot sauce, in which case you have a, you know, you have a little fest and a party. But most people don't, so you're boring. So just because you've been deeply touched doesn't mean everybody else has to. So if you get relaxed about where they have to get to, what will emerge is what they need and where to take them. And if someone's not interested, I very sweetly suggested they don't stay for the rest of the program. We had actually, it happened uh, uh, a week ago. We had a guy, he didn't do much of the prep. During the prep, he kept telling, oh, I know this, I know this. And he kept talking over us and he was really quite disruptive. On the first day, he turns up late. And then the minute he turns up, he starts commenting on all the stuff that he hasn't seen to all the people who are just starting to learn this. So he's very disruptive. So we drag him to one side and say, listen, you're giving your opinions on something that you weren't there at, so you don't know what people are talking about. So maybe watch the tape of that, and then this afternoon, if you want, jump in. 
the afternoon, he kept his mouth shut, but he wasn't happy. He didn't turn up day two at all. Didn't come back. So we spoke to the leader at the end of day two and says, he shouldn't come back. So he didn't. It wasn't his time to learn it. He was just going to, it's like the guy in the cinema who keeps having a loud conversation on the cell phone while everybody else is trying to watch a movie. You ask him to leave. It's yeah. up to them, Jasmine. It's not up to you. Yeah. Right. Michael Neal says, you know, we're here to reign. We're just here to reign. Some people will soak it in. Some others won't. Some oh, I didn't know what, I didn't know how you were spelling rain there. I thought you meant right. rain. Yeah, no, no, rain. <laughs> R-A-I-N. Yeah, so I like that metaphor that he was using. I was like, yeah, it is. I'm just going to say what I say, and that's it, you know? Yeah. Well, there is one thing you can do, which is you check in with people. Yeah. And then you see what type of rain would be helpful, including no rain. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because because I've met people who just weren't interested. But I mean, a lot of people are not interested. Yeah. I, in, the, in the webinar that you did in the French community, the thing that that touched me the most in, in what you've done that really, you know, that resonated with me was just, you know, talk to their intelligence. They're all, we're all, we all know this. Just talk to that, you know. And I thought that was really, I loved it. I really did. So. Robin, thank you so much, so much for accepting my invitation. This was pleasure. so much fun. So let's say somebody wants to learn more about you. Um, what is your website? So uh, all of the work we do on the, in the corporate world is on a website called Insight, I-N-S-I-G-H-T, Principles, P-R-I-N-C-I-P-L-S, Principles, not, not, not A-L-S, Principles.com. Yeah. That's all of our corporate work, which is 95% what we do. Um, since there's a lot of demand, a lot of people come to us and say, how do you do what you do? We'd love to learn from you. We, we do twice a year. We do a public program. So we've got a few public programs, um, uh, and those are m mostly online. And that's um, in a different URL. That's insightprinciplesinstitute.com. Got it. So two different websites, one for our public training, which is very small, and then the, the other one, which is what we do in the corporate world. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to put that in the description, guys, uh, so that you guys can link to it and you can reach out to, to Robin if you'd like. And I want to thank you again for accepting my invitation. Uh, real pleasure, uh, Jasmine, and, and see you soon, hopefully. Yes. Everybody else, I'm going to say, dream it, dare it, do it. You can still live the life you want. <laughs> Take care, everyone.